Well, my name is Chad Vincent. I'm the community group pastor for those who don't know me too well. Uh, my wife is Laurie, and we have three teenage sons. Um, and I was uh, reminded of the fact that I'm getting old. Uh, last Sunday for Father's Day, me and one of my sons went to work out for about an hour and a half, and I was coming to the gym, and I saw someone that I knew, and he was trying to shake my hand, and I couldn't even get my hand up to him. I said, I'm sorry, man. I can't even get my hand to shake your hand. And in the meantime, my son is taking his shirt off, and he's, he's, uh, he's flexing. And I'm going, man, those days, are, those days are long gone. And then to make matters worse, the next day on Monday, I could barely get out of the bed. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is, this is sad, sad news for me. And it's only going to get worse, right? It's only getting downhill from here. So be encouraged this morning. As you're with us, either either live or uh, on the uh, on the live stream. Um, but the one thing that challenges of parenting teenagers as well. We're in this new phase of parenting teenagers. I have three teenage boys, like I said, and one of the parenting challenges is navigating this social media platform. You know, you got the Facebook, and then you got Twitter, and then you got Snapchat, and then you got TikTok. And I remember days. I'm old enough to tell you days where I remember sitting at. Uh, uh, like uh, on my desk or whatever, having to put the, the, the cord into the phone jack, and it go and you had to dial up to connect the internet. That's how old I am, right? I remember those days, my kids were like just, just, just shoo, shoo, navigating this thing, going, blowing my mind, it's too much. And so with social media, you know, you're getting likes, and you're getting follows, and you're getting videos, and it's just a constant influx of information. And as a parent, I can't keep up with all these new platforms they're offering our teenagers and our, and our children. But with that has raised a phobia called F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. And the fear of missing out is this anxiety or insecurity. There's something going on, a party, an event going on that, that I don't know about, and I might miss out on it. And so it creates this tension of, man, I really am wired to connect. So this morning, I didn't come talk to you about TikTok. I didn't come talk to you about Snapchat. I didn't come talk to you about Twitter. But it is concerning to me about the fear of missing out, especially as it relates to the gospel. Because my fear this morning as we sit here, and my fear is this. We can sit here Sunday after Sunday, and we can miss the purity of the gospel. Right? We can be faithful to attend church, but somehow we miss it. And we turn the gospel into, have you heard these phrases? Man, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been good enough. And when I hear that statement, I'm not being judgmental, but I go, I get sad because I think we missed the gospel. And these are people that I know and love who have sat in church their whole life, majority of them, and they have missed it. And they turned it into some kind of works some kind of merit, something I can somehow perform well enough to attain. And isn't it what our society does? And that's why the gospel is so hard to get. This fear of missing out is so hard because our, our society is structured in performing, right? It's, it's works-based. It's no grace. And so I, I want to address the passage this morning from that standpoint, when Luke's writing in Luke chapter 17, he wants to give us an insight. He doesn't want us to miss out on something. The fear of missing out. And he doesn't want to miss out this morning. It's very simple. On the gospel. Because again, please hear me. You can miss out on it. 
is very subtle. And you can sit there and the evil one, you won't hear it. So please pay attention, not because I'm up here, because the gospel is at stake and we don't want to miss out on the purity of what it truly is and what it truly does in our life. So Luke has performed a miracle in this section, Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. He's going to perform a miracle, but the big idea is this. The big idea is this. The gospel came to connect what's unconnected. That's the big idea this morning. The big idea is the gospel came to connect what was and what is unconnected. See, we have a longing to connect. And that's why that fear of missing out speaks to our gut, speaks inside of us. We don't want to miss out on something. I was a youth pastor for 15, 17 years, and, and that's the reality, especially of young folks. We want to be included. We want to be invited in. We want to be a part. But as I left the youth ministry, I learned it's no different with adults, correct? We have that same longing to connect. And as you turn to Luke 17, verse 11, let me just set the, the stage that he starts. He says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And again, what he's doing here is he's, he's setting this travel motif. Jesus said in this travel motif, he said, hey, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Me and disciples are on our way to Jerusalem, and why are we headed there? He's headed there to die. He's headed there to be crucified. And so we got to understand, if we're talking about the gospel this morning, we got to be clear and define if he's headed to the cross to die in Jerusalem, what is the gospel? The gospel is Christ's death, his burial, in his resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. You hear me? I know it might sound elementary. You probably say, I've heard it a thousand times, but please listen. What is the gospel has to be defined. Is Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins to make us connected to the Father? Jesus. And so that points us that direction, and he's going to fulfill that. And then notice in verse 11, he says, he's in between Samaria and Galilee. And hang with me this morning because that's the key. See, as he's going to Jerusalem, he says, I'm in between these two regions. Keep that in the back of your mind because he's going to be exposed to a variety of types of people. And we're going to see how he interacts and how they interact with him. And so since the gospel comes to connect What's unconnected, we have to realize there's obstacles here. There's obstacles, there's barriers that prevent that from happening. And what the gospel does, the purity of the gospel, it, it penetrates it. It attacks those barriers. And one of those barriers is called, we're familiar, social distancing. Amen? You know what social distancing is, correct? Six feet apart. Get your mask on. Stay away from people. Quarantine. We got that in our culture today, right? Social distancing. Look with me in verse 12. And as he was entering a village, he was met by ten lepers, and there it is, who stood at a distance. Did you catch it? The gospel penetrates social distancing because these folks had leprosy. And what leprosy was, it was an incurable skin disease. 
white little dots will show up on your skin. It will create scabs and sores. So much so, guess what you had to do? You had to do what? Quarantine. You had to be re- removed from the community and be unconnected. And they were considered the what? The outcast, the forgotten, the rejected. That's what the lepers were considered, the outcast, the rejected. And, and it was contagious. And so don't you miss the point, what Luke's trying to make. Don't miss it as you sit here this morning. We are the leopards. We're not Jesus. We're the leopards. And we're on the outside. We might not have a skin disease, but we have a problem called sin. And we're on the outside of the camp. And and they were forced to live in quarantine. And that was like to them a death sentence. Social isolation. No human interaction. And so they will band together for mutual care and support. But look with me at verse 12. Did you notice the phrase? Jesus met them. See what the gospel does? Jesus is an embodiment of the gospel. He is the incarnate of the gospel. And he comes in in verse 12. Just say with me, highlight it. Jesus met them. And he met them where? He met them where they were in their outcast state. In their rejected state, Jesus comes in and he meets with them. And that's beautiful. He, the obstacle of social distancing, the gospel comes in and speaks right to that. And we have that same problem. And what it looks like for us is he meets us right in our mess, right in our autonomy, right in our self-sufficiency, right in our anger, right in our loneliness, right in our jadedness, right in our cynicism, right in our hurt, right in our resentment. See, the gospel meets us right there when we have unmet expectations. He comes in, he meets us right there. And when he meets us there, look down at verse 13, guess what happens? And they lifted up their voices and they said to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. See, they knew who Jesus was. They heard about Jesus. They knew he had authority to do what? To heal. And so they come to him, they call him Jesus, the Messiah, and they say, guess what? Have mercy on us. But we got to make sure, we got to understand what is mercy? Mercy is someone in a superior position that looks down and is moved by compassion, not by obligation. Moved by compassion to actually do what? Do something about it. Engage. Interact. And so they're asking Jesus, Jesus, as you meet us, we have a problem. Help. Help us. And what does he do? He meets them right in their point of need. See? Do you follow me? And, he, and he, I proved that to you by going on further. He says, when he saw them. And so, number one, he meets them in their outcast state. Number two, 
He sees their need. He saw it. He identified with it. He acknowledged. And for people who've been forgotten and rejected, for Jesus to come on the scene and to acknowledge them, to identify with them, to connect with them, wow, in their state of need. That's our deal this morning. See, you and I have a problem. And we're unconnected. And Jesus comes there and sees you and says, hey, I see you. And when you tell someone that you're in a conversation, they're going through a hard time, and you say you see them, what are you communicating? You identify with them. You acknowledge them. And these lepers have been forgotten most of their life. And Jesus says, no, no, not only do I meet you where you are, I see you, I acknowledge you. And I'm going to do something about it. So the gospel doesn't just take social distancing. What it does now, it also takes over the cultural boundaries. It takes over the cultural boundaries. Look at me in verse 14. Look with me in verse 14. And when he saw them, he said to them, now Jesus will speak. Go and show yourself to the priest. This is fascinating because the cultural boundaries are at play here. Let me help you understand their culture. See, their culture, the priests were like the health care consultants. They were the purity code keepers. They were the gatekeeper. They told you who's in and who's what? Who's out. That's how the priests function. They were your way to God. And the priest told these lepers, guess what, lepers? You're what? You're in the outcast. You're rejected. And so when Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priest, he's sending them to the very people who sent him away. You sure you're with me? He's sending them to the very people, the priest, who sent them away and told them, you're rejected. Wow. Sound familiar? When Adam and Eve sent in the garden, what did, what did God do? He did what? He sent them away. But what did God do? He said, I'm going to promise you something. A Messiah is coming who's going to make it possible for you to do what? Be sent back. And that's the beauty of the gospel. See, Jesus is telling them that. He's going, go to the priest because I want you to show them the Messiah has arrived. And that is fascinating. He sends them right to the people. And culturally, the disciples are sitting there going, Jesus, what are you doing? You're not even supposed to be talking to these people. You're breaking our cultural rules. Not only are you meeting with them, you're seeing them, now you're speaking to them. Have you lost your mind? See why it's so easy to miss the gospel? Because it doesn't work like us cares about those on the margins, cares about those who are outcasts, cares about those who could do nothing for us. Man. And so now, what he's saying is, you have a different priest. See, you have a better priest. In the Old Testament, it was Aaron. The New Testament, it was Caiaphas. He says, wow, I am the better priest. See, Jesus pointing back to himself and going, hey, F-O-M-O, don't miss out. 
Don't miss me. Don't miss me. Look what I'm doing. I'm speaking. I'm sending. And then he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 14. This is the beauty. And they, as they went, they were what? Clean. As they went, they were clean. Again, Jesus moved to, by compassion. They obey. They move out. And they were clean. And now, culturally, for the first time in their life, can you imagine? They don't have to enter an establishment on the roads and go, unclean, 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 make way, unclean, unclean, unclean. That's their identity their whole life. They spent yelling, unclean, unclean. And now as they go back to Jesus, guess what happens? Jesus, as you're going back to the priest, you're, as you're walking, you're made clean. I don't know how that happens, but I do know, can you can put yourself in their shoes for the first time ever, what was unconnected is now connected. The gospel had just made them whole. What's unconnected is now connected. And they're going back to the priest going, whoa, I don't have to yell unclean anymore. This is amazing. And listen to me carefully, please, because we missed this. Back to us. What do we try to do? We try to clean ourselves up before you go to where? Church. Before you come to Jesus now, make sure you clean yourself up. Get your anger self under control. Get your kids under control. Get your marriage right. All right? Then you come to Jesus. But you need to get that stuff figured out first, and then you come to Jesus. See how subtle it is? So you got to be what? Smart enough, good enough, and strong enough to clean your own self up. And so now that makes you feel even more what? Disconnected. Now I'm unconnected. And that's the subtlety of the gospel. As he comes in and limits these cultural barriers... He says, man, this is beautiful because now I don't have to be smart, be strong, and self-will it. Just be patient, Chad. Come on. Don't be angry. You got this. Clean it up. Make it happen. Manage it. Control it. And watch the response. When, when, that, when that leper gets it, verse 15, then one of them, emphasis on the one, but stay with me. When he saw he was clean, he turned back and he praised God with a loud voice and he fell in the face of Jesus, giving thanks to him. See, once he got the gospel, once he got the gospel, he did three things. He praised God. He fell on Jesus' feet, and he gave thanks. That's a miracle. Once he grasped the purity of the gospel, he worshiped. He worshiped. Because now what happened? He felt for the first time in his life, he felt relief. He felt, ah. 
someone's with me. I'm not unconnected. I'm now connected. And he fell at Jesus' feet and he worshiped him because he didn't even go. Did you notice the text? He didn't even go to the priest. You know why? Because he went to the, the better priest. See, Jesus is the prophet. He's the priest and the king. He didn't go to the priest. He said, I'm going right back to a better priest. I'm not going to an earthly priest. I don't need that man. I'm going to Jesus, the true priest, the fulfillment of the priesthood. And he runs back to Jesus, and he worships, and he falls on his feet. Because by the miracle of God, with him being cleansed, God did something deeper. God began to cleanse inside his heart. Because the leprosy was just an outward symbol of what was sick inside. And God healed the outside, but he healed the inside. And this guy fell down. And he worshiped him. And don't you think for one time our culture, for one minute, our culture doesn't speak right to us. It speaks loud. It speaks every day. And that's why we miss it, the gospel, right? And you're familiar with it. It speaks out and it says what? Where do I go in these moments when life is not manageable? Where do I go? Do I go to power? Longing for influence? Do I go to control? Try to make things go my way? Do I go to comfort, always looking for pleasure? Or do I go to approval, longing for someone to accept me? Please don't miss it. Do you see how Jesus destroys all these idols? Because now you have power in Christ. You don't need to control everything because we know he's what? He's sovereign. You ain't got to please people because you've already been what? Accepted. You don't need any more comfort because you got the king of comfort. But it's so hard to, to get, isn't it? We have to be honest and go, that's hard. But all those things are fulfilled in Jesus. And he's taken us, and the culture speaks that every day to us. I've got to be somebody. I've got to prove myself. I'm worth something. You've already got your identity's already set. You gotta believe it and receive it. And that's hard because that's what? Humility and honesty. And so the culture thing is, is there, the social thing is there, but he doesn't stop there. See, he, he drops a surprise on them. Now he's beginning to tell them hey, not only does the gospel have to penetrate the social distancing, not only does the gospel have to penetrate the cultural boundaries, the gospel has to penetrate what? Ethnic groups. And this is where disciples go, seriously? Like, Jesus keeps pushing the envelope a little more, a little more. Now he's about to go clear off the reservation. Because the one guy that comes back is the one guy they didn't want to come back. See, the one person comes back, they're going, no, not him. Anybody but him. Look down in verse 16 as Luke continues to explain it. The one person that came back was a what? Now he was a Samaritan. And they all went, ugh. No. Not the Samaritans. Because, see, the cultural deal, this little history, 
They rejected and despised the Samaritans. A little history lesson. 1721, when the Syrians come into the northern kingdom, take over the northern kingdom, export the Jews out of their own country, infiltrate that area. There's Jews still there. The Jews are going to intermarry with who? The Assyrians. They're going to produce children. They're going to be called the what? Samaritans. So it's derogatory. It's not correct. It's wrong. But the Jews called them half-breeds. And it's derogatory, and it's wrong, and it's sinful. But see, the Jews thought they were superior because we're the pure blood of the Jews. And these Samaritans would come in, and they would contaminate this stuff. <laughs> but not only that, there was also a religion deal. See, the Samaritans didn't believe Jerusalem was a real place to worship. They only believed in the five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the law. The rest of it they didn't believe in. So now you have this not only ethic deal, you also have this religious deal, religious aspect. So now the Samaritans, there are two things you got going on. One, they're not pure Jew. Two, they don't hold to the religion system. So now do you see when Jesus said the Samaritan came back, the rug was pulled out, the mic was dropped, and Jesus goes, gotcha, because right then their face winced. <sighs> They're nasty. They're not worthy. They're gross. And they come back, and you accept them? And the implications are huge because the gospel is for everyone. It's the great equalizer. At the foot of the cross, we're all standing equal. So it's not the Jews versus the Samaritans. It's not us versus them. It's just us. It's just us. And the gospel tells us that and communicates that to us. It evens the playing field. And the gospel always connects the unconnected. You follow me? The gospel always connects the unconnected. And these folks their whole life felt rejected, despised, shunned, forgotten, alienated. And Jesus comes in there. He gives them what? Dignity. There's no partiality. And so that's why in 17, he continues to illustrate this point, and he asks questions. And they're rhetorical questions. But what he's trying to do, he's trying to say, look, Jews, you were set apart to be a blessing. When, when, when God came to Abraham, you were to go out and be a blessing, and you've turned that blessing to somehow now you're a superior. You've missed it. F-O-M-O. You've missed it because you were supposed to bless these people. Instead of blessing them, you're judging them. And that's what? Sin. It's wrong. And so he goes on in verse 17. He says, were there not ten? Where are the nine? Was no one found worthy to receive praise? Give praise to God except for, here it is again, you see it? Except for who? This what? 
There it is again. You see it? This foreigner. Please don't miss it. I beg you, please don't miss it. See, the logical response is, what will make this guy, this Samaritan person, what will make him turn back and give thanks to God? What would cause him to do that? Why would he do that? And I have to presume it's because he didn't think anyone owed him anything. He didn't think he had any rights at all. And so when he's given mercy, shown mercy, shown grace, he does what's natural. He goes right back to that person who shows him that grace, who accepts him, and falls at his feet and worships him. Because he said, hey, God's not obligated to give me anything. You know what it's called? He got rid of the heart issue called entitlement. This entitlement issue says, you know what? Because of who I am, I have special privileges and special benefits the rest of you don't have. I'm a former athlete, so I'll put on the athlete terms for you. I'm on the varsity, you're on the JV. Matter of fact, you're probably not on the JV, you're probably cut. I'm on the A team, you're on the B team. So you get my stuff for me and give it to me. You serve me. That's what he's speaking to. And this stuff comes out and this entitlement rears its ugly head all the time in our life. See, we can't just stay the text. We got to go inside ourselves and go, man, when I thought about this, I'll just tell you what I think. God ought to. God should have. God owes me. Why wouldn't God do this? I have rights. I deserve it. I've done the right thing. My situation is completely different. I mean, it's just off the, off the fly that I follow my own heart and entitlement comes out. I did everything you wanted me to do. Therefore, you should do what? Everything I want you to do. That's raw, honest, introspective Chad. You might not struggle with that issue. That's a joke. See, should have, would have, could have, ought to. And so the nine don't come back because you know why they don't come back? Because Jesus ain't going to do what they want Jesus to do. Because Jesus doesn't answer to them. And Jesus really, he don't need them. And that's hard to swallow, but that's the gospel. He doesn't need them. If he needs us, it's not mercy. It's not grace. If he needs me, he's obligated to me. So we got to remember, it's so easy to fall in this mindset. And we do it so subtly, right? Hey, God, once I get my finances right, you're going to come through for me, right? I need you right now, though. I'm feeling stressed out. My kids are acting up a little bit. Once I get them all right, you're going to be there, right, God? And then they start doing a little better. The kids get a little better. The finances goes back up. And what do we do? Oh, what do we do? See how it really gets? Man, my car was just shot. Had car problems lately. Oh, God, man, I need you. Help me. I'm stressed out. Job is not working out for me. 
See? And what do we do? Oh, God, I need you. Then what happens is that's the current situation. And then when God does come through and show us kindness, how do we respond? And if we believe God ought to, God should have, we don't say thank you. We don't go back and accept the kindness of him. So as I conclude this morning, look at verse 19. And he said to them, the last words are are significant. And he said to him, talking to the Samaritan, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And this morning I will include the last words here because this is powerful. When he says rise and go your way, your faith has made you well, in the Greek, this word faith is called sozo. And it's mentioned 15 times in Luke. And all 15 times, this is either a healing, a belief, faith, or saved. And so we got to unpack what is Jesus saying because in Luke, he says this a lot. He says, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. What is he talking about? And what I'm going to assume, or or not assume, what I'm going to articulate he's talking about is there's a deeper work going on here. See, the nine missed something. They missed the gospel. They got the physical healing. They got the relief they wanted. But guess what happened? They missed the purity of the gospel. They missed the spiritual heart transformation. And that's why they didn't come back to worship because they didn't get the gospel. They only got the what? The gift. And they believed that Jesus could heal them, but that was it. See, the leper who comes back, the Samaritan, he grasped the essentials of the gospel. He got it because he knew it was not just this physical healing. He knew God was doing a work deep inside of him and doing a heart transformation. And when we get that, that's why we come back. Because the gospel connects what? To our hard heart. The gospel connects to our hard heart. It's not just social distancing. It's not just cultural boundaries. It's deeper than that. It's not just ethnic groups. What the gospel does, it penetrates our hard heart and begins to soften it. Begins to soften our hearts. And so when he says faith has made you well, go. That's what he's communicating. Sozo. You have been restored to the community. But not just restored, you've been what? Restored. You've been changed. You're different. You're no longer the same. And now what happens is what? You have more what? More love. More joy. More peace. More patience, more kindness, more faithfulness, more self-control, and more what? Gratitude. You have more gratitude. And that's what he's saying. When God does a work in your heart and tenderizes your heart and works in your heart, you respond with more gratitude because you've been forgiven so much. And so I encourage you this morning couple of things. If you're not connected at all, obviously the purity of the gospel is Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. 
But here's who I'm primarily talking to this morning. I'm talking to you people who think you've graduated from the gospel. Somehow you've taken the gospel, and yeah, it gets me to heaven, but I don't need the gospel anymore. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. You need the gospel every single day of your life. You never graduate from the gospel. You go back to the gospel over, 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 over again. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's, it's that you live out this acceptance, forgiveness, mercy, grace. You live it out every single day going back to the gospel, back to Jesus, back to the cross. So church, we got to wake up. Because you don't graduate from the gospel some kind of super Christian. That's a myth. You swim in the gospel. You bathe in the gospel. You embrace the gospel. You come back to it every single day. You don't graduate come sum out of the gospel. No. You come back every day. You need it. Air you breathe the gospel. And so that's who primarily I'm speaking to. Some of you have forgotten, like myself. You think, oh, I need to graduate the gospel because I'm strong, I'm smart, and I'm good. And I say, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because when you get there, you get entitled. So we come back every single day. So the so what this morning is just a question I have for you. When's the last time and this is not a shame-driven question. It's a heart question. And it's a heart question. When is the last time I went back to God and told God, thank you for what you've done? How long has it been since I've gone back to him and said, God, you've been so good to me? Small town, parents divorced, scared to death, little kid, and you took that little kid, you loved him, you embraced him, you showed him community, he's unconnected, thought he had to prove it, thought he had to deserve it, man, done a good, good work, gave, a, gave this little kid a beautiful wife, got three great kids, had a job that he loves, that is all the goodness of God. I can go out to church and go to Newt's, get me a Newt's cube with a Caesar salad and a sweet tea. Life is good. I want to be grateful for what God's done to me and for me. So when's the last time you've done that? Take a couple minutes. Father, we are grateful.
grateful for your word this morning, grateful for uh, the reminder of the good news and how you move towards us. Uh, I just uh, pr- I pray for, uh, as Chad just shared, Lord, that this, what you just share with us, Lord, it wouldn't just be information, but it would, it would connect deeply with our heart and move us to intimacy with you, uh, to loving you and loving others. And so, Lord, help us respond uh, to your word with grace and love and mercy uh, to ourselves and to others, and may you be glorified in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.